And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Not what we know, because we don't know shit. What we think. <laughs> David K. Montoya, S.A.D. Burbank Podcast. We're S.A.D. Burbank, David K. Montoya Podcast. <laughs> the game plan, yeah. The, uh, the show. Look it up. This actually makes <laughs> And see, I came up with more... Not what we know, because we don't know shit. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. Since we're no exception, this is What We Think. I'm S. Sadie Burbank. And I'm David K. Montoya. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> I think I'm okay. I've been sitting here watching you for the last, what, minutes, uh, playing with the computer, going, how the hell do you know what you're doing? Because <laughs> you know I'm so electronically challenged, it's pathetic. Um... I, I'm I'm still a little frazzled, but we'll yeah. get through this. Well, we had mic trouble, we had playback issues, we had uh, program issues, and all. Now I think we're good, and we've started with a new opening. Yes. For reasons that I'm I'm not aware of, but you are because it was your idea, so well, that's cool. When I called, um, we talked about this last week. Is because originally with the it's Monday night, yeah. it was just such a pickup. Yeah. But now with our new format, uh, we pick you up and we just kind of drop you and, and we carry out on a low level conversation. Ah, As to before, you know, I we see. were before we were doing moving lot right along and moving yeah. quickly. Yeah. So I think this number one, it gets you to say an, an actual catchy. Oh, it's so catchy. Intro. Yeah. Was it catchy? Did it sound catchy? To me, it did. Oh, cool. All right. Well, hey, you're the one that listens and decides. So, yeah, I like it. It's it's cool. So, before we started recording, I said that something happened. I tried to find it on YouTube, but I'll mm-hmm. explain it. Okay. Um, what? Let's see. I seen the movie. We'll just leave it at that. The okay. movies are raw. And most of it you saw. Most of it, yes. And, uh, because I fell asleep at the end. (laughs) Or close to the end. Well, it was the point where Hugh Jackman dies, so I don't know how close I was to. You were very close to the end. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, when Hugh Jackman's die, he's getting ready to die, Mm -hmm. um, Anne Hathaway, her ghost appears. Right, right, right. And so, then she's comforting him to, mm. to move towards mm-hmm. the light and all that stuff. Right. Well, if you notice, now I want you to go, if you have the movie, any listener, I want you to pop in the DVD player as I'm saying this. When the other two start talking, you know, as he's, he dies, you'll notice behind the characters, behind Hugh Jackman and behind, I can't remember the other two that were there. Yeah. Right. You see, Anne Hathaway on her hands and knees crawling up the aisle. You f- you can visually see this. And I don't know why no one's caught it. I totally don't even know what you're talking about. I don't I up the aisle of the cathedral? Yes. Because the priest is in there. Well, because the priest is standing in the cathedral well, she's in a the ghost. aisle. She's a ghost, right? Yeah. Well, instead of going and, and doing her scene, making a cut and just her walking away, they kept rolling. So in order for her to disappear, she had to get down on all hands. I don't no. know. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing that, and I know Ernie would have noticed. Let me ask you this. what? Where did you get your the, what, the one you looked at? Netflix? It was online. Oh, well, hello. Come on. Be fair. I mean, look at an actual, real that DVD is, That is an movie. actual, real DVD uh, Maybe, maybe Go not. watch it. Okay, I will. I will. We don't actually have it, but it was on um, today on. Um, 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 oh, I, don't know. I think it's on. It was Netflix, on. It? it was on um, one of the movie channels. Okay. I don't. I don't know which one, but I can. I can find it someplace, and I will. I'll even if I have to go online and do it that way. I will because I. I totally never saw anything like that. But even if that's true, that isn't her doing. Because you were saying you'd you know you'd take back her Academy Award for that. Well, that wasn't her doing. That was just bad editing. Yes, and, and it's crazy and because probably she was being directed to you know get up there however you can or something like that. I guess I don't know. Because you think after not she, seeing it, I I'm I'm just guessing here. A del, you know, after delivering the line, you would think they would go okay, cut, 
yeah. let her walk off yeah. scene and then yeah. start you, another you scene. Would, you would think. But she, they kept the, the cameras rolling. totally don't have a clue. And I've seen this several times where I was actually sitting and watching it. Now, sometimes I have it on just because I like to listen to the music. Right. You know, because for me, the music is very stirring. I, I'm not an opera fan, per se. And, you know, when I when you and I were talking about Les Mis on a previous podcast, yes, uh, it was in a totally different reference for right. totally different reasons. Um, and... I neglected, I think I neglected to mention to you that it is an opera. Right. And as such, every, almost every word that's spoken in this movie is actually sung, as is the case in most operas. Right. They're, you know, that's what operas do. You know, it's kind of strange, but they sing things like, I'm going out to mow the lawn, darling, you know, shit like that. So, um, you have to, if you don't appreciate that, form of musical expression, then you just have to kind of overlook it and look beyond that to uh, the acting quality or the, the performing quality that the various actors, you know, bring to it. And uh, again, we were talking about a totally different situation. Right, right. But I had off-air commented to you that you know, Anne Hathaway basically won the Academy Award for singing a song. Right. Because all of, she was in more than that of the movie, but the the performance that she gave when she sang that song, I dreamed a dream. Right. Uh I don't I don't know how it affected you, but I mean I cry even now when I see that. She she didn't just sing the song. She was she was really good in it. <laughs> it's really hard for me to, because I don't, I'm not um, an actor. I'm not right. a, you know, I don't know the terminology that well. Um, I just know that, that it made me feel she was feeling what she was singing, you know. Well, yeah. In in a way I've never seen anybody do before. She It was brilliant. I, I for what, for the most part, I enjoyed it, I think. Yeah. It's just not my cup of tea. I I totally get that. But again, when we first started talking about it, it was for a whole different reason. Right. That I even brought it to your attention. Otherwise, I pr- probably never would have said, "Gee, David, you got to see Les Mis," because I know that's not going to be your cup of tea. But what you is know. my cup of tea with Hugh Jackman is I I uh, finally seen Wolverine, the yeah. new one. Good, huh? It was pretty good. I, yeah. I was. Yeah, he's he makes a damn fine Wolverine. <laughs> there was a couple of, of parts in there that made me scratch my head, like, "Huh, what's going on?" You well, know. see, I, you know, and 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 that's probably the difference between us. You you look more at the technical side of things like that than I do. I tend to let myself get lost in a movie. I really do. Ernie does too, which is one reason we're very compatible that way, because we we do watch a lot of movies together. I record a lot of movies on television, all kinds of movies, and uh, because he's not always there to see them, and I know he's going to want to watch them, you know, later. Right. Uh, and and he he and I are on the same wavelength in in what we get out of a movie, any movie, any kind of any genre. It's like it hits us both the same way. So it's kind of cool because, you know, we really enjoy the movie together. It's, I don't know how to say it better than that. But anyhow, you sort of, you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, my thing was is with the, the Silver Samurai, you know, the big giant robot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he has spoilers. Um, spoiler if, alert, spoiler alert. Yeah. If, if, uh, if you're not, into understanding any of Wolverine's origins from the previous movies. I'm not even talking about should, comic books. I'm just talking yeah, about. Yeah, you should see a. You should yeah. see. Should see the first Wolverine. Really, don't you think? Well, I, I think you should see all X Men one, two, and yeah, three. Yeah, exactly. Wolverine. Yeah, you can't just bounce origins, in yeah. and out of right. that. Because he has this, these claws. There are three claws that come out of his hands, both hands, and they're covered in uh, a fictitious metal that's called adamantium. Yeah. Now, adamantium is supposed to be unbreakable. Well, in this new Wolverine movie, 
uh, the Silver Samurai, which is a giant silver samurai robot, right, uh, has this heated uh, sword. Yeah, katana. That's the word I was looking uh-huh. for. And he cuts Wolverine's claws off. Ah, and so there you go. And now I'm like, now they're not impervious anymore. Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe he needs a new coating of adamantine or whatever the hell. Right. Uh, uh, Maybe he needs a Manny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, can you do my? Can you do my man? Wouldn't it be cool if he had toes that did that too? Wow. Hmm. But I. Um, then he'd need a petty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Just, just to go off anyway. on a little bit of ger- uh, geekdom. Geekdom. Yes. Um, because you said toes in the yeah. comic books, they actually created a a clone of him. Uh huh. But the clone turned out to be a female. <laughs> and, Hardly a clone, then. But I digress. Um, I mean, a clone is, by definition, an exact copy. Right, right. But well, DNA copied. Ex- well, either way, it's still going to be an exact copy. It's not going to be male or female. It's going to be whatever the thing is that it's cloning. True. Okay, anyway. Anyway, uh, one of the things that she has is... Like Wolverine, she has claws that come out of her hands, but also two out claws her, that come out of her feet. See, as well. yeah, she needs a petty, and Manny and a petty. That's <laughs> that's a girl thing. All the all the women listening, you know what I mean. And uh, let's see, well, maybe some of the men too. I yeah, don't know. That's true. Lots of men get petties. I've been I have been to get a pedicure uh-huh. with the guy sitting right beside me, and not just a, an old fart that can't reach his feet anymore. There was a biker dude came in and got a petty, believe it or not, in his little Harley vest and everything. <laughs> Serious, true story. Um, but anyway, so... Now that's a man's man, I'll tell you. It takes a lot of cojones to go into a beauty shop full of women, sit down on a petty bar with a bunch of other women, and have your toes done, and walk out prideful as hell, and never, never, no words, nothing, just... Did he did just like the rest of us? I thought that was pretty cool, actually. I I actually wouldn't have thought anything about it, to be honest with you. I I would have ten years ago. I would have thought it was a little weird, but you know, anymore. Hey, I yeah. mean, men's have toenails too, right? I didn't get them painted or anything, you know. Just got them gouged and you know cleaned right. and shit. But anyway. But anyway, back to Wolverine. Um, <laughs> way that was way off <laughs> yeah. the boat. Way off the boat. Okay. It, it was a, a good story. The action sequences I thought was really enjoyable. Um, Plus, I just look at him. I don't give a fuck. He can, just, <laughs> he can just stand there. He doesn't even have to have his fingernails out. Just that six-pack is worth looking at, you know? I mean, the man is, his. he's built. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Some people have it. He's got it. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Uh, speaking of action, I seen because I've been watching a lot of um, foreign Asian movies. More specifically, I've been watching a lot of Japanese movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, there old was, ones or new ones? Um, both. Okay. And in fact, I think this one I saw was from the seventies. It was called The Last Blade Drawn. Mm. What a great movie! I yeah. Mean, and it was I. It was all subtitled, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But I. I was just. It was a Japanese movies for the most part are really entertaining. I find them entertaining. I like them for a couple of different reasons. Uh, as you know, my husband's Japanese American. Yes. Uh, I sometimes I'll put on Japanese movie when I can't watch it. I'm cooking or whatever. I like hearing the language spoken because it reminds me of being around my mom and dad, my right. mother and father in law. Right, right. Um, and so I, but I find the, the movies entertaining, whatever, usually they're about, they're either about samurais, uh, wronged women who've had to lead horrible, miserable lives because of the men in their lives, you know, and right. standing at the windows with the rain coming down, looking in and watching their daughters marry somebody and they can't be at the wedding and stuff. That's typical Japanese stuff. Uh, but they're, they're always, Almost always well done. You kind of have to understand how they do. When I say they're well done, I mean for for 
for I don't want to I don't want to say this, but I'm going to anyway. For Japanese movies, they're well done. Right. Uh, you, you couldn't necessarily compare them to contemporary American movies. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, because that's not where they come from. Well, no, that that's actually that's completely understandable. I mean, the seventh. Have you seen the Seventh Samurai? No. Have you seen uh, Zatoichi? Uh, Zatoichi is the blind samurai. Okay, I think I've seen that one. I ha- I actually have I have a a, a paper cone shaped snowman at home. Uh huh. He's a paper cone and he's got a ball on his head, and I got him at like seventy five percent off one January. Uh huh. Because the facial features of a snowman were all gone. The mouth was there, but everything else was gone. So I called him Zatoichi the snowman because <laughs> he's blind. Crazy, you know, there I am. Um, Zatoichi is a really cool blind samurai who, I mean, he hits that mark with that sword every time. Right. Oh, yeah. And you believe he's blind. He, the, the, the guy that, that, and I, I'm sorry, I apologize to the actor. I don't know the, the name of the guy that, that plays Zatoichi or played him. But, uh, it, he does it so well that you believe he's blind. Even when he's fighting and you know he can't be. Right. <laughs> you know it's not possible for a guy to be in a sword fight with 15 samurai and be blind and nail them all. Right. You know, but of course he does. You know, that's Zatoichi. He's, that's just the way he is. So yeah, I love Japanese flicks. But this movie was, it was really well done. Yeah. Um, they are. The, the storytelling was solid mm-hmm. and it was long. It was like almost three hours long. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed. They had me from the beginning to the end. Um, it's on Netflix. What's the name of it again? When the last blade is drawn. I'll have to check it out because and I I don't remember it by name. There's I, a there's probably a scene. Seventies, you, know, you said. I believe it was in the seventies. Yeah. Um, unless they they made it look like a period piece. You know how like you yeah, can digitally yeah. make film. Look, right. To me, it looked like seventies yeah. film. Yeah. Um. But there was just just one scene where the samurai is getting ready to he he does these different missions and he's given the the family his family money to survive on and he's about to go do something where he cannot return to his family at mm. all so it's his final goodbye to his family and the the son is considerably older than the daughter I think the daughter was like maybe two or three. And, you know, the son's in his teens. And he's he's pretty much telling him, this is what I have to do. Take care of your sister. Take care of your mother. You know, mm-hmm. I love you. And the boy's getting ready to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And he says, we do not say goodbye, which is something I didn't realize. I, I actually looked into it. I guess it's part of cult, samurai culture to not say goodbye. Samurais oh, do okay. not say goodbye. Okay. And, um, and he... What do they say? Arrivederci? I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If they, they don't just, have a substitute. They just bow and and, and go and go. Well, okay. And uh, you know he gets about maybe fifteen twenty steps away from him, and then the little girl, his daughter, she's like, "Papa, papa," uh, and it just broke my heart <laughs> because you know this guy, he's already just he's bad. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, he's bad yeah. with a katana. Yeah. You know. But that instant, you lose sight of him being a, a samurai, you know, a killer. Yeah. At that moment, he's, and then he's, a, he's dad. a dad. Yeah. And you can see, I mean, the guy just portrayed it so well in, in his acting. Yeah. Uh, you could see the torment. He was trying not to turn around because yeah. he didn't want to say goodbye. Yeah. He stops. And he turns around. And the little girl, you know, comes and runs. And he, he uh. you know, gives her one more hug. And it just, it, it did. It was That's just, cool. It was now, was the the story itself taking place in samurai times, or was it taking place in contemporary times? Um, how do I explain this? The story begins in 1899. Okay, there you go. But okay. the story goes back into, okay. uh, you know, the I think probably 18. Let's see if that's 1899. I'd say probably 1830s okay. is 1830s, 1840s, somewhere in there is when the story is being told. Somebody's yeah. telling the story. That's m- more of the period that most of the Japanese movies that I enjoy take place in. If I said that right, um, 
I enjoy other Japanese movies that portray contemporary or more or less contemporary times right. uh, for different reasons. But I, I like the the ones that, that go back to, to feudal Japan, yes. if you will. Uh, because there's, uh, even though you can't necessarily say, well, that's for sure how things were, there's a historical flavor there that I appreciate. Yes. Uh, whether things really were that way or not. Plus, they're almost always done in, in rural, uh, Japan, in, in terms of the, the, where they were photographed. Yes. And so I find that appealing as well. And the scenery was yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Scenery. Oh my God. It's it was a beautiful gorgeous. country. Gorgeous country. Same with China, for that matter. China, uh, some of the old, <clears throat> Chinese movies, and there are fewer of those. I was just watching a Chinese... The, <clears throat> Turner Classic has been doing a, a lot of Asian stuff lately, and they were talking about the the movies uh, in the 30s, early 30s in China, were almost non-existent because of the war. Really? The, well, the war that they had, uh, there was... Uh, there was war between China and Japan. Right. And uh, that almost wiped them out as far as those arts were concerned. Mm. You know, and then of course later there were other issues with the arts in China. But um anyhow, some of those movies I find also uh very appealing again because of the scenery. You know, just it's a gorgeous country. Beautiful country. So with that said, yeah. There's going to be a different flavor to a Yotnam. Uh-oh. I've gone Uh-oh. back and added certain elements that okay. I feel that is because I want I want people to look at the the watch the film whether it be animated or live action uh, there's there's a story that I'm trying to tell mm-hmm. and obviously it's going to be animated and I want it to be true and I know this is kind of an oxymoron to say it but I want it to be true art um though I want it to be an art form through animation the story I want to be true and the more I learn about the Japanese culture, specifically the Japanese samurai culture, mm-hmm. I feel like I can go back in on implementing, you know, more that, mm-hmm. that's making it feel more authentic. Other than, you know, someone from Japan writing it, other than David Montoya writing mm-hmm. it. So right. that's that's right. what I'm working on. In fact... Give it some depth. Yes. In fact, um, the other night I started Act 3. Cool. Very cool. And uh, it's it's going to be, I don't know, I hope I achieve what I'm shooting for. Just because I've I've grown up on the the manga, which is, uh, you know, it's all import, Japanese import. Mm-hmm. I've grown up on that, and I feel like, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I decided to go and try my hand at animation instead of doing a live-action movie, is because, number one, there, the market's... The the market's slim pickings because mm-hmm. Jap, uh, Japan the manga movement has actually gone more towards publishing than producing film. Okay. So people like me who grew up enjoying this stuff, I think would would really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. In order, but in order to do that, you have to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the right story, the right type of dialogue. You know, the mm-hmm. right maneuvers that are used in, in the action sequences and, mm-hmm. and, and everything has to be right in order mm-hmm. for it to work. Yeah, a lot of the movies, uh, from out of Japan that, that we've seen, especially some of the older ones, we don't, uh, as Western eyes on these movies, we don't sometimes realize that these really are telling old stories or retelling, I should say, for uh, the benefit of the movie audience, they're retelling old stories passed right. down from generations gone by, just like we do here. You know, we uh, just did uh, Lincoln, for example. Uh, you know, with um, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I had the Lewis. I had the Day Lewis part, and I had I couldn't think of the Daniel part. Uh, that, in essence, is sort of the same thing. Right. We're retelling for contemporary eyes a, a, a story that's been passed down through generations to uh, the, the listeners and viewers today. Right. Uh, in the case of Japan, they go back not generations, but 
eons, <laughs> in a sense, you know. I mean, they have a 5,000-year history, so right. so they, they, they've got a lot of stories. Uh, but they are... Mm, nothing in Japanese art is accidental. Right. I, I get that, too. You know, it's... It, it's uh, not only is it not accidental, it isn't even newly invented. That's passed on as well. Right. Uh, if you look at a, uh, you can look at a picture of a stork or a crane, uh-huh. and you cannot tell when that picture was made. And I don't mean a photograph. I mean a, a drawing, a, a drawing or a painting. Pa- painting of of a let's say a crane or a persimmon or um, a, a Japanese lady in a kimono. Uh, walking across a bridge. You cannot tell when that painting was made unless you're extremely good at spotting art painting techniques that are consistent with a certain period of art in Japan. The average person cannot tell. And the reason you can't tell is because they've always been drawn the same way. There's a there's a way you do that. Right. You don't deviate. Uh, the, the the part of the skill is in perfecting that express that that artistic expression. Whether it's dance, song, um, painting, uh, pot making, pot you know knife Pottery, making. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they've been doing it so damn long, trust, they know how to do it right. Right. And they've known how to do it in a way they consider right. Oops, I'm sorry. I hit my mic. In a way they consider right for thousands of years. You know, so there's very little need to fix it. Right. It ain't broke. And I get that. Because, in fact, one of the things is um, Aaron... My brother-in-law, Aaron, who's mm-hmm. actually, you know, he's one of the producers on the film, and we're discussing things. And when I told him about animation, he, he asked me if I was going CG. Mm-hmm. And I said, no CG. Mm-hmm. And he's like, really, why? I said, because it's manga. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Japanese cartoons. Mm-hmm. It's manga. Yeah. You do not see Japanese cartoon manga in CG. CG. yeah. It's yeah. hand-drawn. Yeah. It's always hand-drawn. And even though you you can't say necessarily that Japanese cartoons have been around, you know, for 5,000 years. Right, right. Uh, still, the, the drawing techniques basic have. Yes. It's like calligraphy. You know, Japanese calligraphy is, is it's interesting. Japanese language, and uh, both written and spoken, uh-huh. evolve, oddly. Uh, for example, my in-laws were American-born, uh-huh. educated in Tokyo as children, right. young people, because that was the tradition to do with first-born generation, first-generation American-born Japanese kids. They didn't want them to lose their cultural ties, so right. they took them, to, took them to Japan to educate them. So that they had the education, at least in their history and and their culture, right. along with their Americanization, so to speak. Uh, when I was talking to my father-in-law one day about Japanese language, and I said, I, I don't know, in, uh, cousins had come from Kobe right. to visit. And I said it must have been nice to be able to visit with them in Japanese. And he said I hardly knew what they were saying. And I said, "Well, you know, you speak Japanese. Mama speaks Japanese. Mama didn't know either, because just like our language here uh, changes." With the addition or subtraction of verbiage or phraseology that we're not familiar with anymore, that uh, or uh, usage that we're not familiar with anymore, right? Theirs does too. So uh, not only does the the spoken language change so that you don't know what they're saying, and and that's your. <laughs> 
and you know Japanese, okay? Right. You don't know what they're saying. You can't tell, you can't read what they've written either. It gets, it gets slightly distorted. So you don't always know what they mean. And I found that very interesting. I thought, because he said, if you took me to Japan right now and put me on a street corner, I wouldn't be able to tell anybody what I wanted. Because it's different now different than it words. was when he was there being educated as a young person. Right. You know, which is kind of freaky when you think, I mean, because even here, if you, if you took somebody from, uh, uh, let's say Abraham Lincoln's time, right. okay, and brought them here, and they've done that with movies, they've gotten, you know, let's take them back there and see how they fare, and you know, and it's kind of tricky, you know, because we don't have horse and buggy, you know, they don't know what a telephone is, you know, stuff like that. Right. Uh, but basically, we got, we would get along a lot better than, from what I understood him to say, than he would have in Japan because it's like totally different language now. There's so much change and it's constantly evolving. So if you're not there doing it all the time, That's you come here uh -huh. for four or five years, you try to go back there, it's different. You're not, it's not going to be the same. <coughs> you're not in touch. At least that's what he told me. And I have no reason to doubt him. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I thought it was a little weird. And it, when everything else stays basically so much the same, right. the language just changes itself all over the place, which is strange. It me. is strange. And oxymoron almost. So anyway. And now a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18. But with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Roberts Field Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Are you looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, better, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10 to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, better, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart or find us on Facebook for extra savings. Do you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jazelmon.com.
but yeah, so that's uh, one of the big things is a big key component to um, the the young. Oh, and in fact, the main character. Um, it's interesting because we pronounce it as sensei, but mm-hmm. listening to them pronounce it, it's sensei. Mm. Um, Japanese pronunciation can be tricky. Yeah, it can be. And uh, and our interpretation of it even trickier. Yes. Yeah. And you want to hear Ernie? Now, he's he's second generation Japanese uh, American born. Right. Okay. He does not speak Japanese. He studied J- Japanese in college, and it was one of the hardest things he had to study in college. He has Japanese American dictionaries. I've read them. We used to look up dog names. Whenever we get a new dog, we'd look up a name in <laughs> Japanese American Dictionary just because we had one. But he, he, when he watches the Japanese movies, he has to read the subtitles along with me. He doesn't always know what they're saying. Sometimes he does. When it's family stuff, uh-huh. you know, in the, in the story, uh, and they're just talking about, I don't know, what they're going to eat or, you know, whatever, uh, I'll say, what did they say? And he'll, and he'll say, Oh, he's looking for his dog or, you know, whatever. Right. But if it's, if it's abstract content, he's got no idea what they're talking about either because he doesn't speak the language. Neither does Kenny, his brother. They don't speak the language. Kenny did a little more than, than Ernie because when mama, when daddy died, mama was still living and, uh, and he took Kenny, took care of them more and was around them more than Ernie because Ernie married me and we kind of went off on our own. Right. But his brother didn't marry and stayed with, not stayed with him, but was there around them all the time. So he had to speak, especially with Mama, because Mama didn't speak very much English at all, ever. And so Kenny, in order to actually do the business of taking care of her, he had to speak the language. Right. And so he did speak a lot more uh, Japanese than Ernie, and not so much anymore because, of course, they're gone. They've been gone since uh, 91, 90, 90, actually, 91, I don't know. Anyway, they've been a long time. Um, so, again, he would, you know, he would be able to speak with them because their knowledge of Japanese stopped evolving when they came back to the States and continued living in the United States, okay? Right. So the evolution of the language that was going on in Japan escaped them, so to speak, because they came back to the States. So it wasn't affecting them anymore. So their level, if you will, of Japanese language expression, even though they didn't know each other at the time, you know, they were young people. They didn't... You know, they, they were born here, they went there, educated, came back here, not knowing each other. Okay. But when they met, their level of communication was the same because of their time frame. Gotcha. Okay. So they communicated fine between themselves. You know, and, and then the kids, as the kids were growing up, what little Japanese they picked up. Right. Stayed, again, stayed at that level for the rest of mom and daddy's lives. That's why when the cousins came to visit, they, they had a hard time understanding them. They didn't know what the fuck they were saying. You know, because they were back in Japan. They were living in Kobe. They, they they evolved with the language. Right. Weird. But the reason I bring that up is because we were going over and we were talking about things. And and um, initially, I was going to have uh, the student to a Yotnam call a master. And you said no, it would be more, um, you know, more proper to have him called, to be called sensei. Uh-huh. And the movie I, I was telling you about, you know, um, the last blade drawn. The the samurai is also a teacher, and um, they called him sensei. Sensei, let's see, let me see if I can. Is it Sensei Mashatoro? Mashatoro? It depends on what his name was, because Sensei is teacher. Right. That's the honorific. And then the, the rest that followed would probably have been his his name, whether it was his last name or his first name would have, again, depended on their um, 
association with him. And so, if they're referring to him as Sensei something or other, it's probably a last name. So I think uh, I'm going to try to play with it in the script. To, yeah, otherwise, to you get into that... Uh, um, Okay, let's use Hiroshi, which is Ernie's middle name. Okay. Um, again, traditionally, second-generation Japanese-American kids, American first name, Japanese second name, and then, of course, their their last name. So the the nod to their heritage uh, was taken up with the second name. Right. Uh, and a big honorific nod to, nod to their American new life right, right. was given by having an Americanized first name. So his name is Ernest Hiroshi. That's his middle name. Okay, so let's take Hiroshi. If 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 I know him well, it's Hiroshi san. If I don't know him well and he's my teacher, let's say Hiroshi is the last name, which is odd because Hiroshi's kinda like George. It's a it's a common first name, but we'll pretend that it's not. Uh, then it would be Sensei Hiroshi. So the honorific of the teacher is there, just like you you say Professor Smith. Right. Okay, so it would be Sensei Hiroshi. It's not likely that you would know the professor well enough to say, hey, Professor Harry, or anything even close to that. You know, right, right. You would be doing the... Professor Smith thing. So in, in Japanese, you're doing the sensei last name of the person thing too. You know, so it's not, they wouldn't, it wouldn't become more familiar than that. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. If you're familiar enough with the, with the teacher to call him anything other than sensei, then you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna switch all together and you're gonna be calling him by his name and adding son. Because that, that's the, that's the, it's kind of like saying buddy. That's gotcha. The, the friendly kind of thing that you're saying to that person. But again, it's, it's still a respectful, kind of backwards honorific, if you will. Right. No, I, I follow you. And that's what I was going to say is that with that, I don't know if I want to travel down that road as far as dialogue wise, because it is, it's English. I should, Point that out to everybody. Mm-hmm. It, the script is in English. Oh yeah, because I do not speak Japanese, nor does Ernie, and we're both in the movie. Yes. Yeah. And um, so, in order, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say is, to go down that path would be almost kind of like, to me, it would be like almost a forgery of of someone. Well, and who, and I want to encourage you not to, uh, not to, in a sense, bite off more than you can chew. Because you are not Japanese. Right. So it, it kind of be like me trying to teach somebody how to make a tamale. Right. Yo no say, dude. <laughs> I'm not Mexican. I don't know how to make a tamale. I can't teach somebody how to do something like that. I barely can do it myself. And that's with the recipe and guidance and lots of help from some other hands, you know? Right. So, so what I'm saying is, even though you're telling a story that is about the Japanese and the Japanese culture and whatever, don't force yourself into a mold you can't fit. You're not going to be able to tell it like a Japanese because you're not one. Right, right. So the most you can hope for is is geographical accuracy. Um, again, some terminology accuracy in the terminology, but you're you're uh, unless you're telling the story from the eyes of a Japanese person in the story, nothing. <laughs> um, then you you can, you can be forgiven a lot, right? Okay, because. You're not Japanese. If you were, and you were telling a Japanese story about Japanese people from the eyes of a Japanese character in the story, a lot more would be expected. Right, right. Okay? But, like I said, you can, you can get around that by virtue of the fact, because nobody who knows that about the story is going to go, well, that's not Japanese accurate, you know, or whatever. Right. You know, that's not the way they really talk, or that's not the way they really do. Because in the first place, (laughs) most of them are not going to know. 
okay? Unless they're heavily into Japanese whatever. Culture. And if they are, they're probably not going to be reading Ayatnam anyhow. Right. I mean, come on. Probably not. And it's not being represented as a Japanese story about Japanese people told from the eyes of a Japanese character by a Japanese. That's not, that's not where you'll be coming from. So it's not going to be expected to be, uh, you know, 110% accurate right. in its portrayal. <clears throat> no, like I said earlier, this is... Um, this I mean, is... I appreciate you want to do, you know, as much accuracy in terminology and everything as possible. All I'm saying is, cut yourself a little slack here. You know, don't don't go for the whole 100%, because it's not going to happen. Right. No, and that's what I was saying, is this is going to be, and, and anybody that, what I'm about to say, if, if they've watched it, they're, no, they're going to know the terminology. It's, uh, it's U.S. manga. So essentially, what it is, is it's Japanese cartoons, America, Americanized for... Our culture. There that's you go. Essentially, what it is. There you go. That's that's what. But I'm is on. it done by Japanese, or is it done by Americans, or is it done by Japanese Americans? Originally, it was all done from Japan. It was by all, Japanese. Yes. And then, well, see, now that's interesting too, because they then they're they're trying to to conform a Japanese comic to what they think. Americanized standards are equally impossible. But it works. Well, it may work, but it may not actually be any more... Um, how can I say this? If, if you've got a Japanese and he's taking a, a comic right. and trying to Americanize it, it's not going to be any more Americanized in Me actual too. fact than if you take a, an American comic and try to Japanese it, right. as it were. It's not going to work on account of y'all got a border there between you, okay? A line of demarcation. And saying that was, that's my goal is, is I want it to be more traditional because there is obviously that that change in in the the art form. You know, things are are just becoming more digital. That's just the way it is. Well, this is true. And with comics, you might even get there. You mean cartoons? I mean cartoons. You might even get there better than real life portrayals. Right. Okay. Because again, look at a Japanese movie about contemporary times. Right. We've all seen them. Uh, they're, they're, especially the dubbed ones, okay, where they're speaking, the actors are speaking Japanese, and they're driving automobiles and shit like that, okay, uh, and the dubbing sounds like, uh, it's like totally not you know, that's funny. the way English, or American people speak, right. because it's Japanese people speaking the way they think we speak, based on... Old movies they've seen when Elvis was around doing his thing, you know, and, and it's hilarious to watch because of the terminology they use. And, and they think they're being very contemporary with it when, in fact, they're 30 years behind the times. Right. I was going to say, you know. the funny thing is, is that there, there's actually a section on Netflix where you can find it. you got to dig for it, but yeah. it's under international, but yeah, you yeah. can find those. Yeah, and they're, and they're fun to watch in a way. It's, it's like, uh, the, like the Godzilla movies, for example, the ones with Raymond Burr in it, uh -huh. okay? And he's talking as though he was just, you know... In America, making the movie, so what he says makes sense. But all the Japanese characters, when they're dubbed, they sound like thirty years before that, right? Because they don't. Well, anybody anybody that's bought a product that needs assembly that was made in Japan, and you look at the instruction sheet that comes with it, and it's written in English. It isn't written in English by people in America. Trust me. All you have to do is read the instructions a few times, and you go, "What did they say?" <laughs> what did they say? Yeah. And I can't think of a, a concrete example right now to to demonstrate what I'm talking about. But anybody that's ever read English instructions written in either China or Japan, you you know what I'm talking about right. because they're what. Well, it's choppy, but it's also worded oddly. And, uh, you know, they, uh, 
instead of saying uh, put the screw in and turn it to the right, they'll they'll say grasp the the you know thing and, and <laughs> I don't know. They just they just they talk different, right? Because it's what they think we're talking like now, but they don't know any more about what we're talking like now than what than we know about what they're talking like now, and that's kind of the difference I was talking about. In Japanese language, the way it's evolved and changed, it's very similar to that, but worse on account of we at least know what they're trying to get said. Right. But again, with the Japanese, you have no fucking idea what they're saying. Well, there is one thing that I should tell you too that's happened this week is um, I'm actually going to put you in somewhere else, but the, oh, okay. the barmaid okay. I, I've taken out. Oh no, my part! I can't be the barmaid anymore. Um, in fact, I took. Here the whole I was practicing all my Japanese bar tar- terminology too. Were you yeah. really? No. Okay. Are you kidding? Um, just because. Uh, in fact, I took that whole scene out. Oh. Um, because cool. the and and. So what am I now, a hooker? <laughs> <laughs> she laughed and he said yes. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. Oh, okay. Um, but it wouldn't it it wouldn't work. For the simple fact that the more I, like I said, the more I'm learning about samurais, uh-huh. there's no way in hell a barmaid would be rude to a samurai. Oh, hell no. Not if she wanted to keep her head. No. And, and that was yeah, kind of totally the thing. Not. Is, is, and I was kind of playing on a comedic. Yeah. In fact, nobody was, rude. <laughs> nobody was rude twice to a samurai. Right. Put it that way. And I felt that that just didn't work yeah. so i went ahead and i took that out that's cool yeah yeah and and that's appropriate too and and from that standpoint i agree with your your desire to keep things a little more accurate than than all that because right. uh because part of the appeal is going to be the the technical if you will accuracy of of the time and as I'm writing this, I'm like, fuck, the story's getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. Because things are happening. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to push this into the next script. I'm going to push this into the next script. Now, even though the next script hasn't been written, I've already got an entire enough shit for the next script. Which means that the stuff that was in the next script is now being pushed into the third script. Mm. I'm like, ugh. And it's- That's when some cutting has to start taking place. That's when you have to start looking at things and go, is that really that good? It was that good before in the context it was in. But out of that context, on its own, does it stand? If it doesn't stand on its own alone, it may not be worth keeping. Well, what's happening is is I'm telling a story, and because I've already written the comic book, yeah. so there's, the story's already been told. Yeah. But... Now we're going in reverse. We're right. telling the story before the comic book. Right, the prequel. And as I'm doing this, and I'm telling more and more, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to put this in here to make it fit for that comic book mm-hmm. because I want to stay true to my story. Right. So in order to get to that point, I've got to go in and put a new point in, and, mm-hmm. and it's just like stretching further and further out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the... And I, I think I've talked about this. I don't know if I've told you about this. Um, there's a piece in the third act, act three, where the shogun walks out onto the balcony, and he's looking down, and as he's looking down over uh, what it is, is here's, let's see, how do I explain this? The balcony's in front of him, and in front of him is a large area of just open grass field. Mm-hmm. And behind that is the forest, mm-hmm. the Japanese forest. Well, he goes out and he walks up to the balcony. He's just looking. It's nighttime. It's just nice and cool and fresh. And he happens to look up towards, more so towards the forest. Mm-hmm. And as he looks up towards the forest, he noticed all these black little dots are coming out from mm. the forest. Mm. And ninjas. He realizes <laughs> that it's a, a flood of ninjas. Yeah. And, and the way I, I wrote it was the way that they look like they're coming from the forest is ants mm-hmm. coming from an ant hill. Mm-hmm. Good. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, they're just it's yeah. flowing. In, uh, I can't wait. And they do that uh, tr- again traditionally. Uh, you know, there are always endless numbers of ninjas when they attack. Well, I don't care if they're attacking the palace or somebody's house or what. But whenever they attack, uh, 
There are endless numbers of them, silent, fleet of foot, zipping around here and there, you know. Now, the only thing I'm thinking about changing in this piece is I'm thinking about possibly making it wintertime. That would be cool. That would be cool. Just because yeah. then there would be snow and the visual of all those black, you know, the, the black uniforms. They wouldn't ninjas. be in black. What would they be? White. Ninjas stealth, dude. They're not gonna. They're not gonna show up on snow in black. Hmm. Hadn't thought about that. But yeah, you're right. Because I've seen white ninja costumes. They're not gonna show up in black. They want to be sneaking up on you. They're not. Shit. They may as well stand up and march if they're gonna do that. But I was thinking of. It'd more... be it'd be cool because you could see them. But but if you do the color contrast right. You know, you can you can work with the 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 light of the the ending light of the day, uh-huh. so that there's the glow there to light the forest in a glow kind of way. You know, they'll show up. Well, that but the main reason why I wanted to do it is because by the time um, a Yotnam and his student gets back to the forest or from the forest to the palace, mm. there's already the fighting's been going on for some time. Yeah, and. Blood, you know, splatter right. all over. And I was thinking the the visual spectrum of red on white, the, the It'd be blood. Good. It'd on be good. The... You could have you could have end of uh, winter, so you could have some snow here and there. Yeah. You know, early spring or the other way around, early winter. Little snow, not a whole lot. But but and I get what you're saying about how cool it would look to see the little black guys crawling across the snow. I'm just telling you, they won't be wearing black. Because they're all about the stealth thing. Right. And they, they, they're not stupid. They know white show, black shows up on white. You know, they're, they're going to be wearing black. They're well, gonna, they want to blend in with their surroundings as much right. as possible. So, so what are you going to do? I don't know. I just might leave it the way it is right now. Yeah? Which is, uh, yeah. it's story-wise, is it's and there's, It doesn't have to be the whole, doesn't have to all take place in one season. Necessarily, could change seasons. That's Can't, true. I mean, you know, shit, you're the author. You can do anything you want. <laughs> but I just wanted to convey, you know, because I'm watching all these uh, yeah you know, foreign you're movies, all and, kinds of cool ideas. Yes, yeah. And hopefully, it's going to translate into a really good script. You have to, you have to take in a couple of Zatoichis. You really do. I will. Zatoichi's entertaining too. He's he's funny. Besides, besides being, you know. Capable, with a capitals K. <laughs> he's he's uh, he's entertaining. I find him entertaining anyway. But then I find all Japanese movies entertaining. Very few of them I haven't enjoyed. I've seen a lot of Japanese movies over the years. You know, we've been married thirty nine years. I've seen a lot of Japanese movies, dude. A lot. We that's what we used to do when we went on dates. We go to Japanese movies. Really? Yeah, we go to Japantown in uh, uh, in uh, San Jose. That's cool. See Japanese movies, yeah. It was fun. I that's where I learned to love them. So, yeah, but they're entertaining, very, very entertaining. And once you get a taste for them, you know, then then you kind of know what to expect. There's always going to be lots of blood, right? You know, always, you know, they're they're total matriarch, matriarchally driven. If that's, I made up a new word. Um, yeah, in fact, with that, I had to go and figure out, you know, like one, obviously the Shogun's in charge of one family, then you've got the Chamberlain who's in charge of another family, mm-hmm. and then you've got the uh, the Lord, which is another family, and then you go into, like, the sub-lords. And, and, uh, well, and, the, and culturally, there's, there's uh, when I say they're, they're matriarchally driven, I mean the, the fighters are. Right, but there's the the other side of the cultural coin, is the one driven by the the women. Derive it um, forcefully, like the samurai or the warlords or the feudal bosses or whatever. They don't they don't do it that. They're very subtle. Right. They drive it with their pussies. That's they know the, they know that's what you're after. And that's, you know, that's, they just sit there all beautiful. And in essence, they say, you want this? <laughs> You're going to do things my way. Eventually, you will do things my way. 
You may be able to slit my throat, but in the meantime, <laughs> you're going to do things my way. And they're, they're, it's a very subtle power thing. Very, very subtle. But it's there. You have to look for it. But it's there. Uh, I'll definitely. Because yeah. there's more. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get in as much as you know, I can. And, and at the same time, you know, I mean, the women were powerless. Right. They were kept powerless. Uh, they weren't allowed to strengthen. They had nothing to strengthen with. If a woman became strong, it was because uh, she portrayed herself as a man to gain physical strength, I'm right. talking. You know, they were kept like little dolls, like all the little Japanese dolls you see. They were kept that way. So they had they had strength, but it was inner strength. It wasn't a physical strength at all. Well, thank you. I, I did not initially mean to get off on a tangent about uh, Japanese cinema, but that was fun. Well, yeah, it was. I'm uh, sorry, I sort of took it there. I no, didn't not a problem. Necessarily mean to, but that's all right. So wish me luck. Yeah, I can't wait to see what I am going to be in yes. the movie now. I think I should be. I think I should be a madam. A madam. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, they had them. They had right. brothels all over the place. Those guys had to get laid somehow, where they could turn around and slit their throats if they wanted to. You know. So that actually gives me an idea. Okay. All right. Well, for anyway. this week, I am David K. Montoya. And I am Miss Sadie Burbank. And you heard what we think, and now you know. That's right. Good night. Good night.